Shut up and sit down. I think I have better control over myself this evening. My sugar seems to be in a good spot, so hopefully I won't be having a crazy moment like I had last night. Um, <clears throat> going to bring Jilly on the air. We're going to talk about Gibbs. Um, this is not a fandom bane, so we're not going to be plotting Gibbs's murder specifically. Um, we're going to be talking about ways to manage um, his character in a um, in um, in your plot because uh, he can be a pain in the ass and. So we're going to get started on that <clears throat> straight off. Ooh. I um, I made myself some lemonade. It's a little tart. <laughs> it's a little tart. My, I pushed the button for Jilly to come on the air, but it's spinning. We could be in trouble. Uh oh. There we are. There I am. Yeah, the browser I was on locked up, so I started up a new browser with the um with the dashboard and that worked. Do you get a little beep or something on your end? Yep. I don't get a I don't get a, a word um, when when I when it unmutes it just beeps, um, but when it when you mute me it goes muted. I get the same beep and then a little female voice says muted. <laughs> That's kind of rude. <laughs> Guess better to know than not. <laughs> muted. Hilarious. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> anyways, I hope you put on some clothes. You gonna come right in here from the shower? She could be naked we, over we, there in her corner. She she insists on having it to herself. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. But she's still in the corner. She's pretty much always in the corner. That's why she has her own. Dan, this lemonade is tart. I stuck my foot in something. It's good though. It's good. Oof. Anyways, um, we have killed characters all week in the fandom vein, so we decided to take a little break from that and um, talk about how to manage a character without killing them. And our um, Jilly's choice was Jethro Gibbs because he's very problematic in um, NCIS canon. And um, let's get started. <clears throat> I mean, I think the the degree to which he's problematic and you have to manage him, I mean, it depends on what you're trying to do with him, right? Because for the purposes of your story, you may be doing not need to manage him at all. He may just be kind of what he is. But if you're pairing him with somebody, especially Tony, 
that that takes some work because their relationship is rife with problems and it's mostly not on Tony's side. So you have to, you have to manage the old dude, you know? Um, but like, even if you want to kind of make them close or whatever, you just kind of have to manage how he acts in canon. Um, but conversely, you can also turn him into a villain with just a little bit of a twist. Um, that's one of the things about characters that are problematic like that is that, you know, um, when we say that uh, being a bastard isn't actually a selling point, um, but because he's so polarizing, you can kind of twist him into the bad guy in a believable way. Um, some people call that character bashing, which I find to be bizarre. It's like, unless you ignore the character's bad behavior, you're bashing them. I don't understand how that works. <laughs> the first time I was accused of character bashing, I was like, oh, okay, whatever, and moved on because um, I'm not going to argue that point with anybody because I'm just not. You can call it character bashing, and I'll even I'll even warn for it because I don't give a shit. I, but personally, I, I think if I'm actually doing it. I personally, I think character bashing is when you make somebody, um, when you make a character uh, completely evil with no reason. Yeah. Or because there's just be, no motivation. Yeah, or you could have, like, if you have, like, somebody, like, walks into the bullpen and slaps Tony across the face, whichever character, you know, although people do that with Abby, and that actually is realistic. But if you do it with Ziva or Gibbs or any of those people, um, just walking into the bullpen and hitting him, in the face, or Gibbs does hit him in the head. But I could argue that pushing their behavior to that degree, if you don't have a really good reason, is starting to kind of take them way out of character. So when they're behaving badly in a way that is out of character, that's when I start to feel like I'm reading character bashing. Um, a lot of times I feel that way about fix they're supposed to be Tony positive like they're bashing the fuck out of his character because he's throwing shit in the bullpen and crying like a child. Oh wait. We're not supposed to discuss the immaturity of the NCIS fandom are we? No we're not. Which is really difficult since you know we're talking about NCIS. (sighs) Big babies. But No, I just got to go down that path. Okay, so I put a post on Facebook. I just got to do it. I was like, I'm going to let it go. I just got to do it. So somebody read my post on Facebook, and since my posts on Facebook are friends only, it means somebody on Facebook who I know, instead of just saying it to my face, that they they had a strong negative feeling about what I had posted, um, sent me an anonymous message through my website, basically, I guess kind of calling me a hypocrite. It's like people like to call. I feel like that's what people like to call me as a hypocrite. It's like become like the insult. I don't like that um, because basically my post was that the the fandom is burdened unduly with immature writers. Like they're immature writers in every fandom, and I don't mean new. I mean immature in their craft. Um, they could have been writing for twenty years, and their craft could be like they were, you know, 
in grade school. That's what I mean by immature. The, crowd, the quality of their writing is immature, not they themselves or the length of time that they've been writing. It has nothing to do with that. But um, I just made a comment that I mean, every, every fandom has them, but that NCI seem unduly burdened with. And I'm sure some fandoms do tend to have more, but as the ones I read in, it seems like it's a disproportional number of writers who have not evolved their craft. And I just made a comment about that on Facebook, and somebody basically wrote me and said that I have always come across as being supportive of newbie writers and basically newbie writer positive, and kind of clearly I didn't mean that. Um, and this is how I really feel that the fandom the fandom is burdened by new writers, and that's that's not what I said at all. Um, and I am very supportive of newbie writers. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very much an advocate for new writers, but mm, uh, I expect new writers to grow. It's the ones who don't that I would say um, are immature writers, and they have no interest in not being immature. It's sort of like you know some immature people. They have no interest in not being immature. So fine. I just I don't like reading stuff by people who don't evolve, who clearly are not evolving, aren't growing, aren't trying to do better. It'd be like I don't know picking up any craft and never advancing in it, never getting any better with it. I mean, at some point, you can't chain stitch forever. You're going to have to figure out how to do something with that long-ass thing of yarn. Anyway, rant over. It just really annoyed me that somebody didn't feel like they could just say to my face, well, figuratively speaking, that they had an issue with something I said on Facebook because I, we could have had that discussion, but now we can't. Now I'm pissed. The thing is, is I have said it repeatedly, that the NCIS fandom um, drives me bonkers. It, it it drives me nuts. I mean, because I don't understand. But then, you know, the thing is, is um, I think that I'm going to end up getting an anonymous email pretty soon if I don't shut my mouth. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say it. So here's the way I think about it. There are some writers who can take all the crap at NCIS and and use it um, for their own fodder in, uh, because they're talented. Then there are others who keep regurgitating canon, and because canon is crap, their work is crap. But then talented yeah. writers get frustrated with the content of NCS, NCIS, and they move on to Inception, mm-hmm. to Stargate, to Star Trek, um, because X-Files, whatever. That They move on because the writing itself in NCIS, um, the characterization is profoundly immature. And, um, and if you're comfortable there, you do you. But, um, no, there's a big difference between a new writer and an immature writer. Um, but I've been saying it for years that the NCIS fandom drives me nuts. I don't understand how they can continue to... <clears throat> and that feeds into what we're talking about tonight, about problematic characters and what to do with them. But when it comes to... Like, I, I read something by a writer I've never heard, heard of before, an NCIS story a couple of days ago. And... As for some reason, I can't tell exactly what what 
Am I? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I think your other browser started to work. No, I, I closed my <laughs> other browser. Oh, weird! So I just got beeped on again. Anyway, um, oh, that's funny. Um, the um, maybe it was sent in a command or something that finally went through, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, there is a. Uh, I was. Uh, this writer said that they've never written before. Okay, but presumably they've read. And I'll be straight with you. When I first started writing, when I was like twelve, like putting things out of my head onto paper. I hadn't been through any kind of classes about how to write fiction, but I, you absorb, I had absorbed, I've read thousands of books. I had absorbed how, what basic craft looked like. I knew how to punctuate, how, what dialogue mechanics were. I knew, you know, just even from doing whatever writing I'd done in school, I knew how to construct a paragraph. I mean, there were some basics that I didn't even think about the fact that I had learned in the course of reading, Okay. So presumably, if you're writing, you've read. I don't understand. If, you, if you're coming in as a writer and you've never read anything, I do not get you, okay? So I may not be talking to you. But, but this person, it was just it was a formatting thing. They, and I can't tell exactly what formatting code they were using because that's not visible to me. But basically, it looked like every line of dialogue was in a block quote. And block quotes put it in italics and indent it from both ends, right? Every single line of dialogue was in a block quote. Where did they get that from? I was just so flummoxed. I couldn't read it because it just visually, I could not read that. It was a no. But where did that come from? You know, where, why would somebody go, I need to do this? Did they see it somewhere and go, that seems like a really great idea. I'm going to burden myself with thousands of block quotes. I mean, where does that come from? And that's what I mean by I see things in, in NCIS that I've not seen in other fandoms, people just doing wild, crazy shenanigans that, that it just, it, it's mystifying to me where like the things like one-sided phone conversations of the POV person, um, this weird block quote formatting, it just basic craft things that I would not expect to see in anybody who has read, you know, 10 books in their life. Um, or even one book in their life. Right, it's very it's very frustrating. I mean, I would expect, if you want to talk about the difference between a young writer and an immature writer, there are a lot of very young writers in, like, the Teen Wolf fandom. I don't see that kind of stuff from them. So it's a little bit, that's one of the things I just kind of, sometimes I just have this, like, this, this sort of seething frustration about, like, what is this? Where is this coming from? And why is it so pervasive in this fandom? And um, and I and I got frustrated and I said something about it. We, uh, you know, NCIS being a little unduly burdened, and it got somebody mad and they felt like I was being hypocritical, which they're entitled to their opinion. Um, they're wrong, ass. But I, yeah, I, I do think they're wrong because I, I haven't been. I don't think I've been at all inconsistent about my stance on this. I was upset about one-sided phone conversations from the POV character the first time I saw one. And yet I see new authors doing it because they've seen it in multiple stories at NCIS. And I just like, what? I I rage quit a um, story over that once. I was just like, I'm done. Fuck you. Yeah, I'm going to say something about that that formatting issue. Um, That's... 
I'm special and I want to and I want to stand out and I don't have to conform to everybody else's format. <sighs> Some people just need to be special, I guess. Uh, it gimmicky stuff like that. It it if it works, it pretty much only works for the first person who ever did it. Um, but it usually doesn't work and. It makes stuff hard to read, and it's it's an incredible burden on a story that's more than a thousand words to do gimmicky stuff like finding all your dialogue and putting it in italics or putting a block quote on it or indenting it from both sides or whatever it is you're doing. That's work. Just why would you do that? Vanity. That's the only reason you would do it because you know it's not accurate. So it's vanity. Yeah. If you're not seeing it anywhere else, why would you waste all that time to do that? Something you've not seen any vanity. Unless you've literally never read anything in your entire life. You know, Which is how but likely I, is that? If, if that? Yeah, how like you know, truly, how likely is that? If you've never read a piece of fiction in your, um, I mean, there's required readings in school and shit. Um, the double spacing between paragraphs, Rogue, that actually is an artifact of pasting in from Word. Um, if people are hitting hitting enter twice in Word to get a single paragraph break, which is perfectly legit, when you paste it into many web processing tools, it takes that double that that each each hard return puts a paragraph tag in, which creates that 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 extra that doubling of the spacing. So yeah, it, we have a whole a, tutorial on wild hair on how to fix that, <laughs> on how to get rid of that. Yeah, because it is an artifact of pasting from Word or any other word processing program where you hit the carriage return twice after a paragraph, um, and pasting into WordPress or Archive Our Own or any kind of web editor that converts to rich text. So I don't think people want those enormous white spaces. I think they just don't know what to do about them. I mean, I don't think I don't want. I don't think people should be wasting a ton of time on, you know, some things. Like you don't you don't want people like somebody mentioned that they just. Um, well, people who um, let Word make their paragraphs for them by using formatting to um, create paragraphs and to create space between paragraphs, they don't have those hard those double hard breaks. So when they copy and paste yeah. into um, Word or, or I mean WordPress or um, AO3 or wherever, um, the software isn't picking up those two hard breaks. So if you're letting Word do your paragraph formatting for you, you're gold. But if you're doing your manual breaks, that's when you have problems. Right. So there's a couple ways to format your paragraphs correctly in Word. One of them is to do no space after the paragraph and do a a first line indent, which is what you see in printed novels. Um, and then you just press return at the end of your paragraph one time. The other option is to, and you have no space between, is to set your paragraph spacing to have space after it. Um, usually auto auto is what's default in Word, but you can also set it equivalent to your point size. Um, and then um, you hit return once and it puts in a white space. And in either of those cases, because there's only one re- one paragraph, one carriage return pressed, 
it pastes in perfectly into these rich text editors. But if you're doing the double tap, that's when you're getting two paragraph tags created and you're getting white space. So, um, And also, if you do a hard line break by accident, and I used to do this a lot, so you'll see in uh, – it was just a quirk of my, my keyboarding. Um, if mm-hmm. you see that there's no paragraphs, that's from a hard line break. And so um, I have that happen sometimes in um, on my site because I didn't take out all my hard line breaks. So, um, but that's what happens. It's pretty when you easy do a to get. Line. It's pretty easy. Yeah, if you're if you're seeing that when you paste in, it's pretty easy to get rid of that. You just do a control. You do a search, uh, search replace for the you know caret um, um, l, which is the hard line break, um, and you mm-hmm. replace it with uh, caret p, and it will replace all your hard line breaks with uh, soft line breaks, and then you won't have that um, lack of spacing between paragraphs. Because I, I have the same issue. It's just a matter of sometimes you're pressing the shift key when you hit enter, and you get that 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 break instead of a a return. Right. Yeah. Because it, it is for, um, for me, it's totally a keyboarding quirk. It isn't something I'm doing on purpose. Now, now I know to look for it. Before I couldn't figure out what it was. Julie had to tell me. <laughs> but if you're totally on RT and you're worried or stressed out, just just reach out to one of us and and we'll help you figure it out. You don't. Don't stress about it. Don't make yourself sick. Yeah. But, you know, when it comes to, there's just, be original with your plot. Be original with your, your idea be, and how how, not some, how you implement your idea. Be original with what you're doing with your characters. Be original there. If if Don't seek originality in your formatting. That's just silliness. People aren't going to want to read that stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that is something that just kind of drives me crazy. And that does dovetail actually kind of perfectly into, because I see one of the things that I see as evidence of immature craft, um, which can be reflection of being new or being apathetic or just whatever. There's a lot of reasons why people have immature craft. And if it's because you're new, well, you've got an opportunity to grow. If you've been doing this for 20 years, you just don't care to care to change. I'm not talking to you. But, um, in fact, we would rather never talk to you, <laughs> just right. to be perfectly but, frank. And I won't be just reading saying. your stuff, because I usually I'll hard quit out of that really quickly. But um, when it, one, of the, one of the things that I find to be um, kind of reflective of immature writing is what I would call immature character handling. It's the way they handle the characters, and that includes somebody like Gibbs, um, where they're keeping him tr- you know, exactly the way he is in the show, and yet changing his circumstances to be not like the show. So you put him in a relationship with somebody and don't change the way he behaves, well, that's not going to go over well. I mean, I just, Especially I get so... Especially I, I, because it turns into yeah, domestic violence. It does, because I, I hard quit stories where Gibbs slaps Tony in the head and, and they're involved. That does not work for me. I cannot read that. Because that that's abusive. In their personal life, that cannot happen. There was one story I read where Gibbs did it once. Tony gave him a warning. He said, you do that again, I'm going to do it back. Gibbs did it again. Tony turned around and smacked him in the head. 
and Gibbs stopped because he learned his lesson. And that was fine. The author handled the issue of the head slaps. That was what I call handling the head slaps as opposed to just perpetuating them. Honestly, the head slaps bother me the most in canon. Yes, if I had terrible. a boss slap me in the back of the head, I would come fucking unglued. Mm-hmm. You need to peel me off the ceiling. Yeah. Which is why usually one of the ways I handle, if I'm going to have them have an amicable relationship, is I try to handle the head slaps. I have Tony stand up for himself and say, no, you know, this isn't going to happen. Um, or somebody else looks at him and, you know, gives him a little bit of a reality check and goes, what are you doing? Um, because the head slap thing, if they're close and it was kind of a funny time as Tony was kind of going off the rails or whatever and gives lightly tapped him on the head and they were by themselves, that could be kind of like just a little bit of a humor moment. Like, dude, snap out of it. Um, but when it's persistent and especially related to bad behavior, when it's disciplinary like that, that is, um, that is, that is beyond a hostile work environment. And in a relationship, that's abusive. So... That's something that when you're dealing with a character like that who's got bad habits, you have to you have to handle it, which is why, you know, um, these kind of characters are like, you, ta- you have to you kind of do a little dance with them. It's like, how am I going to manage their bad behaviors today? And to some degree, it depends upon who you're putting them with. And if you're putting them with Tony, you really need to address that. And when you don't, my suspension of disbelief fails because that means Tony's Ethically. Like, self-esteem yeah, my Tony self-esteem would have to be so low, in which case we have ventured into, you know, Uber's pathetic Tony stage in, in my mind, and you guys know how I feel about pathetic Tony. Um, so. I don't know why anybody want to read that, but maybe some people like to watch their favorite character demoralized and mistreated. I'm not one of those people. No, I... I you yeah, may kill your da- darlings, but you're not going to kill my unicorn. So just, I'm just not okay with that. So I, I get me, I, I get the whole. Some people think, I think there's that when the hurt comfort trend started, um, which is a fine trope as far as it goes. I'm not, I'm not dissing on the trope, but it's like people take it to kind of like an extreme degree where the character is. The hurt is is this kind of emotional patheticness that's really difficult to read it. And if that's their jam, that's fine. But I think it's important to consider what you're saying about Tony. Because people don't, you, you get, the story doesn't live in individual pieces. It all comes together and makes some kind of soup, right? You've got story soup and you don't, you know, you got to figure out how this stuff factors in and what does it say about Tony if he puts up with Gibbs behaving that way because it's not just about Gibbs right there's two people there so if Tony's putting up with it it says something about him even if you try to write it that it doesn't say something about him it does it's something pathetic something very pathetic it's sort of like there's this trope um, I love Tony Lee's stories, okay? We all know I love Tony Lee's NCIS stories. It may be my favorite NCIS trope is that he's out of there. Um, but there's, a, there's just like a subtrope within that trope where he leaves abruptly and where nobody can find him, nobody knows he's gone. 
um, he just vanishes. Okay, there's sort of like a subtrope of that. And I've, I've read dozens of stories or tried to read dozens of stories where that happens. It's like, you, I want to say pause to consider, just consider what it says about Tony if he does that, if he just vanishes. A, it's extremely impractical, it, unlikely, that, uh, except for death, that the court would take this agent vanished and we don't know where he is as an excuse for him to not testify if he was called. And it would actually potentially reflect negatively, I think, on the quality of his evidence if they had questions for him and he wasn't able to answer them, the fact that he had vanished like that. So it shows a complete lack of um, – he doesn't take respect for his own responsibility. Right. He's, he's not taking it. And, and, and the crimes he's investigated and the victims who – Who's, who are seeking justice through the courts, if he just vanishes and nobody knows where he is, like he just leaves a letter on somebody's desk or mails in his resignation or, I mean, he can't do that. You can't do that. They have to have more to go before a judge than this guy quit and we don't know where he is. It's a credibility issue um, for the case if, if one of the lead investigators is pulls that one of those kind of shenanigans. And it's my personal headcanon that Tony's probably the person who does most of the testifying in court, except for forensic evidence, because he would appeal to the jury. Um, he would be engaging. Gibbs would be too much of a dick. Prosecutor would not want to put Gibbs on the stand unless they didn't have a choice. Or Ziva. You don't want to alien. I don't know why they want to put yeah, Ziva. Or Ziva. Right. And I'm not even sure she could testify unless she was being called to answer a specific point about evidence collection or something. But I figure that most of the, te most of the testifying is done by Tony with like maybe McGee as well. Cause somebody has, some of the team has to be doing that stuff. That is reality. And you've got to figure out who it is. Um, so, you know, when you, when you make a decision about, like Tony taking off and how he takes off, it matters. Because even if he gives notice and he's not with NCIS anymore, it doesn't mean that he won't have to appear on the stand. That his obligation um, doesn't end just because he goes to work for the FBI or Homeland Security or something like that. Um, unless he's on a, out of country on a highly classified project or something, which would be an excuse a judge would probably take, um, you know, he's going to have to turn back up. So, yeah, he's um, not actually on the planet, sir. <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> it's an issue. We have to read you in on this highly classified program, and we need you to understand why this is a valid excuse. But um, he's simply not on the planet, so he's not going to be able so to testify. When it comes to Gibbs and is he a problem, you know, how to deal with his problem, we're mostly talking about you know, sort of vis-a-vis -vis his interactions with Tony because he's not a problem on his own, right? He's just, you just you have well, to account for him, right? He's well, a he's an moral. asshole. He's a problem. Yeah. And he, um, he's a hypocrite. He, he, you know, he literally is a hypocrite. You know, he's chasing all these criminals. Meanwhile, he's guilty of murder and helped his mother-in-law get off too. And Mike Franks. And Mike Franks. And he's keeping so, Vance's secret. Um, so. Just saying. So you have, so if you, let's say, let's say Gibbs is your main character and there's no one, let's say you're writing a, a Jen story and Gibbs is your main character. Um, 
you do have to account for him, the reality of him. Um, he can't, it, writing him as being morally superior, like some sort of moral high ground striving for justice, that could be a little bit of a problematic thing unless you change his backstory a little bit. Because he would It'd be disingenuous at the most. Yeah. And here's our favorite word of the day, hypocritical at worst. So um, <laughs> it, it becomes... It becomes hard to – you don't want people not identifying with your main characters. You don't want them to not root for your main characters. You don't want them to, you know, you don't want them to wish that Aerie was winning. You know, I mean, that's not the path you want people to go down. So um, when you're changing the circumstances of canon, which you're supposed to do <laughs> when, you're, when you're making adjustments – you have to handle the character, too. You can't just make the character static. That actually is, one of, I think, one of the flaws in NCIS is the characters stayed very static um, and a little schizophrenic, too. Uh, they weren't evolving as the show went Abby on. Abby was never kind of allowed to grow up. No. She became a caricature, not a character, and um, Tony was the same way. Tony was... Tony was a caricature in a very inconsistent way, though, because he had wildly inconsistent moments, um, whereas Abby was pretty much always the same. And they all just became these caricatures of themselves um, that was like the story's evolving and, and their characters are not. So when you're taking your story and you're writing whatever thing it is, you know, you're interested in, to just make the character stay as true to canon as you can possibly make them. Well, why? You're not. Why are you trying to be that true to canon? Canon sucks, folks. If canon um, was perfect, we wouldn't be writing fan fiction about it. No. At least I wouldn't be. Well, I mean, if you look at look at the things that people are drawn to, write about the tags, people, the episodes people write around the most, are where things are the most fucked up, right? Right. You know, there's a reason why dead air is such a popular tag. Yeah, and boxed in, and um, um, requiem. Um, hiatus. There's fucked up stuff going on around those episodes, so they're big. That all these popular episodes for episode tags. Um, it's because something fucked up happened. So trying to keep the character static. Um, Swack was just, Swack, you're right, Swack is actually almost an exception because Swack was just really good drama. That uh, To me, that was just really good drama, that episode. Um, I could have done without the head slap at the end, but um, it was like a little head tap. The teeny tiny pass. But that was probably the most effective head smack he ever got. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's because he's dying. You're dying. Here's your affectionate head slap. Um, I think some episodes that really put a character in a very in a high angst situation also become popular for um, writers. But also, I think I think I think Swack was also popular because there were ramifications of Swack that the show never explored. Never explored. So uh, writers just love to fix that, <laughs> which is great. I like to write a thing. I'd like to write a post whack where um, Tony um, protests being put on a ship, as he should. 
Um, there is no way someone with his potential lung scarring, which he should, he definitely should have, should have ever been put on a ship. Number well, one, it, if he went down it, with the flu, they wouldn't be able to treat him. No. It's canon that his it, lungs are scarred because that's how Ducky identified that burned body um, at the end of season four as not being Tony was the lack of lung scarring. So there's no way he should have been put ethically on a ship. No. I have a tiny plot bunny where Tony takes the assignment, immediately walks out of Vance's office and goes to Human Resources and files a complaint. Because he's of the point of view that if Vance couldn't bother to read his file, then what he got, he deserved. Yeah. Vance is himself very problematic. Both Gibbs and Vance, um, their circumstances are so criminal that if they were ever exposed, they would endanger cases that were under their purview purview, um, the -hmm. entire time they were at NCIS. And since Vance is the director, potentially thousands of people could get out of jail. Because of his corruption. Mm-hmm. And he was assistant director or deputy director for a long time before he was the director. So there were several offices in under his authority for a long time. It's bad. It's very yeah. problematic. So when you look at, like, problem characters versus um, – so, like, um, Vance and Gibbs are problem characters because there's issues in canon with – using them as a force, as a favorable force. So you have to kind of work on that. Whereas Abby, who's a, can be a, she can be, she's more malleable than problem. You can kind of do what you want with her. You can spin her to be quirky and fun loving, like in seasons one and two, or you can twist her just a teeny bit and have her be um, more, more the antagonist. Yeah. She's a big whiny child. So, but she's not a problem. You don't have to, um, she can be an annoying character, but she's not a problem character where you've got to do some work to, to use that character to deal with their... Um, McGee's the same way, except for that whole book thing. That whole book thing makes McGee a problem. That one thing takes McGee from being a malleable character that you can spin positively or negatively or neutrally into a problem character because that book... And it, that that book makes almost everybody associated with it that approved that. It's Jenny Shepard, Vance, allowing that crap to continue on. Everybody who tacitly approved of that book is a problem because that book is said, those his books are such a big deal. I would say that up until Dead Air, I would agree with you about Abby and Tim both being something you can work with. But after Dead Air, neither yeah. one of them. They're both a problem because Abby had to log that evidence. She has to know they turned the radio off. And she never said a word to anybody, which makes her a problem. Because she would rather protect Tim and Ziva 
then have Tony's back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dead Air changed a lot in the show. Um, it's one of the reasons why Dead Air is usually a hard stop for me, um, writing-wise, is, like, I can kind of go that far with Tony, um, but to go further is really difficult. Um, the only, I think the only story of mine where I went further than Dead Air was um, All Your Reasons, but I did not not address it. You know, Ziva was gone and McGee was on probation in that story, so... Um, Um, yeah, so there come there come moments when a character becomes a problem. So McGee's not a problem character until um, the early season four, which is when the book thing happened. Um, and you could choose to not have the book happen. That's how you can deal. That's one way of dealing with a problem character is you take the event away. You have somebody protest it, Palmer, Tony, Anybody, anybody who's negatively, especially Palmer was the most, has the most reason to want that book quashed. If I was Palmer, um, I would do the shit out of him. Oh, yeah. Or just have legal go, no. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can make him not be a problem, but it does need to kind of be addressed. Um, I've ignored the book a couple of times. It's one of those things that I'm never quite happy that I ignored it because I do feel like the book is just, it drives me bonkers that that was allowed to go on but he becomes a problem um at that point and a bigger problem um early in season eight when once the events of dead air happen um Ziva was a problem from the get-go but she's a she's a, she's she was she's fandom bane but if you're not going to kill her off she's that'd be a whole different problem podcast i don't know actually for me i'd have a hard time extrapolating how to turn turn her into a positive because I, she's guilty of espionage. I just, I have a hard stop at that. Right. Just, and I'm stop. pretty sure that Ari killed Kate for Ziva. Yeah. That's our, definitely our headcanon is that Ari killed, Ari killed Kate for, um, for Ziva. Also, by the way, in, in speaking of, speaking of um, repercussions that need to be thought about is, if Tony knows that Ziva is guilty of espionage and he doesn't say anything about it, he's committing treason. Okay? Okay? If he knows that she's taking stuff, if he knows that, he can't just get by Tim knows it, it's treason. If Gibbs knows it, right. it's treason. They all knew it at the end. None of them reported her. That's treason. Right. They cannot... He can't sit on it. So this is a case of where you have to consider, again, what it says about your main character. If, they, if you give them a piece of information and they're choosing not to act on it, well, that information better not be treasonous because, you know, you've just, you just shot your whole story right in the foot. No, so your main character committed treason. Oh, well, um, I'm not sure I buy the rest of this. <laughs> I'm having a hard time looking at them in a sympathetic light at this point. I mean, ignorance is the Especially only way. Especially they don't even that, wrestle with the treason that they're committing. I mean, it's like it's so if they're like they don't even acknowledge. Well, that speaks oh, to I like can't bust. Yeah, I can't bust at the team. If that's Tony's reason for not revealing espionage, is about stopping it is because he can't bust at the team. He needs therapy, and probably he'll get it while he's in jail. 
And if it's about gives, you know, his his loyalty or whatever, he's so codependent. Again, therapy in jail. We should put all of these people in therapy or jail. But <laughs> yeah, or jail and jail therapy and jail. A jail with a really good therapy, a good psychiatric um, wing. Um, so, oh, God, Ellie, somebody in the chat just had a terrible um, oh, hypothesis God, that about. Is an excellent point, Ellie. I kind of want to write that now. That might actually, yeah, that, that is, Ellie says in the chat room, could you imagine just imagine a defense counsel bringing up the book while Palmer is on the stand reviewing an autopsy on a rape victim? Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, in the book that Tim wrote, um, Palmer's character, Timmy, Pimmy Jalmer, or whatever his name is, is a necrophiliac. Yeah. There goes so that, that case. That would be, jeez. I actually enjoy writing court scenes, but I sometimes it kind of gets stuck because I'm like, I don't know. You don't know that you've got, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know that I've got the the language exactly right or the um, procedure. It's a lot easier to write court stuff in Harry Potter where um, the I know. procedures you are made up by me. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> make up all my own shit. I love I love court scenes in Harry Potter for that very reason. <laughs> I don't have time to go sit in court and watch people. I mean, I watch my cousin right. Vinny. Apparently, law schools use my cousin Vinny as an example of really good law procedure. I can watch really? that a couple times. Yeah. Huh. But so when you've got a problem, you have to do something about the problem. You can't just ignore problems, right? They they will bite you in the butt later. Um, and some asshole reader will send you an email letting you know that you've that. Well, this is completely implausible because, you know, Tony would have been convicted of treason if this had happened. Or why? What does it say about Tony that he is he is letting Gibbs hit him hit him when they're at home? Um, you need to put a domestic violence warning on your fic. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so, you know, there's, there are, there are some things you can do. I think probably like, I've never done this, but I think it would be, um, a a really valid thing to do is have Gibbs not have killed Pedro Hernandez. Um, just have him change his mind that he went down to do it and he did not Gibbs is that he he is come across as the kind of character who once he's decided to kill somebody he's going to kill them but you could give him just a reason not to where it didn't happen maybe he went to do it but didn't somebody in Hernandez's position was probably going to die soon anyway um or maybe have Franks do it instead because Gibbs refused like Franks make Franks the bad guy you know he tries to manipulate Gibbs into doing it and um because he wants Hernandez dead personally because they can't get the guy on anything. And he thinks he's manipulated Gibbs into doing it. When Gibbs doesn't do it, Franks goes off and does it. Maybe with Gibbs' rifle. I mean, you could just do something else to make him not have committed that murder. 
a good um, way to get um, him not to take that shot is for Kelly to survive. If mm-hmm. Kelly has survived, even if he's lost Shannon, he's not even going to Mexico. No. Lady Holder suggests that he's got the shot lined up and he hears Shannon call his name and he backs in and leaves. Um, and it's pretty, I mean, canon, he he has visions of his wife and daughter several times. So that's not outside the realm of possibility. What's son? Or you could go the really bizarre background way kind of thing where it's like all behind the scenes and the only who knows is like gives it a really good turn for um, this um, doctor at one point, a doctor named Hannibal Lecter, and when Gibbs loses his wife, Hannibal figures that's the ultimate act of rudeness and Gibbs doesn't even know why Pedro Hernandez disappeared. I had to bring cannibalism in. I didn't want Carrie to be disappointed. <laughs> Every podcast for the last week, cannibalism has been brought up. I'm going to start tagging my shit discussion of cannibalism. <laughs> She'd have to hashtag it yet again. Hashtag cannibalism. <laughs> and besides, and honestly, you want to if Hannibal was going to eat anybody in NCIS for being rude, it'd be Ziva. Well, that's true. Actually, he probably gives. We'll just, you know, we'll like not if he owes um, Gibbs a favor. Yeah, that's true. Besides, he might also decide that Gibbs is, would t- taste like shit because he's a bastard. But um, now, if he owed Tony the favor, he would definitely eat Ziva. <laughs> yeah. Um, in a really but, unfun kind of way, ladies. Now, if you could let the murder thing stand, the killing Hernandez thing stand, I mean, it depends upon your view of the thing. Um, that um, I don't have a problem with the murder. I have a problem with the sanctimonious attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I have a bigger problem with the fact that he lets... I don't think you can be in law enforcement and let people get away with murder because they're close to you. I, what he did to Hernandez, we could just call that rough justice, you know, kind of thing. Um, it happened before he was an agent. Maybe you, you write it off as it doesn't interfere with his, his oath of office, his, you know, his service oath, if he um, doesn't kill anybody again. But once he starts letting people get away with it, when he lets his, his mother-in-law get away with it, when he lets Mike Franks get away with it, probably letting Giziva get away with it, then he, then he's a problem. Those are things that are a problem. Um, you know, and in stories where I have he and Tony together, um, Tony doesn't know about that stuff. 
Because if he knows, I, I always write Tony's having a much firmer moral center than Gibbs has. So if Tony knows about that stuff, he's not going to be with Gibbs. He's not going to be with somebody who no, lets I agree. murderers off. That's why he deserves a Steve. Yes, he does. He does deserve a Steve. It gets harder for me the more time passes to write Tony and Gibbs together. It's just very difficult. because And it's because of the problems. Um, it's because I have I, I the way I write I have to account for you know Gibbs crazy, um, and the, the the his questionable decisions um, and all that kind of stuff. So um, you know I have to that becomes something that it's, it would be a lot easier in a Sentinel Guide universe. That's the easiest universe for me to get them together because. I basically can erase anything without having to explain it. You know, Hernandez, I could leave Hernandez being killed, and it was sanctioned. Everybody knows he kills Hernandez because it was sanctioned by the Sentinel Guide Council. I mean, that's an easy fix. And the other stuff, he doesn't let people get away with stuff from that point. So I, for me, like, I, I write Sentinels a little bit differently, right? And then the rules would be a little bit different. So in the Sentinel Guide universe, I could, I could totally get them together. In a non-Sentinel Guide universe, it becomes harder and harder and harder because I've tap danced around that stuff and I've dealt with the problems and I just have lost interest in it. But it is something that I think that needs to be done. If that's, if that's your ship, figure out how to make Gibbs better so that the pairing is more is healthy. It's healthy, and and Tony deserves Tony deserves a better Gibbs, you know. Write a better Gibbs because Tony deserves it. So, or Steve, figure out how to work work the problems. Well, that sounds interesting. What? Oh, Ellie says that there's a recent fic where Gibbs marries is marrying Tony to help him with adopting Tolly, which. Okay, I mean, there's a little bit of an improbability there as a, as a biological father. He shouldn't be having problems getting custody of his own daughter, but whatever. But stepping, setting that aside, um, he's marrying him to help him adopt Tolly, and Tim pulls Tony aside for an intervention to make sure Gibbs isn't forcing him. Um, I think that's an inter- interesting because that shows, that's something really interesting about Tim, that he sees that that, that could happen as an interesting reflection on on how the on, the, on the, even the author's perception of canon that somebody would have to pull, um, and I think realistically that that could be that way. Like, are you sure this is what you want, dude? Because Gibbs, <laughs> yeah, Gibbs. There's a whole YouTube channel about what an asshole he is. Are you sure you want to do this? He's been treating you like. And the thing about the timing of Tally is, um, Gibbs treated Tony so badly that last year that I would question coercion, too, honestly. Um, so, but, I mean, you know, if that point, if the, he just needs to get married, I'd be like, so, Ducky's single. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> t- t- honestly, Tim is a less problematic choice at that point. Um, Tim, Delilah uh, Tim, she loves kids. You can marry us both, sort of. You can have yeah. a pagan ceremony oh, I mean, with her. <laughs> other than uh, if if you ever want to make Tim a force for good in your story, and it's after season eight, you have to make dead air not happen. Um, right. Because 
or there, McGee there's McGee a fundamental in a different way. Right. Somebody wrote a really good story where McGee says no. Well, he he he. Based, I don't remember exactly how he did it. I think he calls Tony and pulls Tony off the assignment because he can't stop Ziva from turning off the equipment, or maybe Ducky he calls Gibbs. Ducky come get the, um, Tony, and Ducky pretends to be an irate father. Oh, that's law. right. That's right. Um, See, that's a really, I like that was, against my will because it was told in present tense. Was it? That's the one. And we were like, why do we like this? We hate this. Why do we like this? Because, and it was, I said, it's, it's in present tense. I don't know what to do with myself. <laughs> yeah. It was... Um, somebody mentioned the problem with Tim Tony as a pairing. Um, it's not a pairing that usually works for me. I think I've read one story where I was like, okay, I, I can kind of get with that. Um, and it was pre-dead air for starters. Um, but it's just there's there's some characters don't resonate in my head as their relationship would ever have any balance. They just they wouldn't they wouldn't balance each other out in a good way, and I just don't see them being good for each other. Um, but the one, I think the one time when it did work for me, it was um, Tim kind of, I don't know what his epiphany was, but he kind of had an epiphany about his own behavior and started trying to grow up. And he was trying to be a friend to Tony, and in the course of being a friend to him, they kind of fell for each other, just kind of sort of one of those kind of accidentally falling in love kind of things. Um, it's definitely not a pairing that I, I seek out, though, because usually I don't find the, um, I don't you know, the pairing you want you want them to make each other better, you know. Um, I just don't see that with those two. So you want you don't want to be bringing out the worst in each other. Um, but with with with, I found the fix. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Hold on, let me get the um, let me um, see if I can I get the link in. She's getting the link. The, it, McGee kind of came in his own after season eight, which is unfortunate timing because season eight is dead air. So I think there's some interesting things you can do with him late series. Um, um, there's some stuff late series you could do with McGee, but you have to kind of make dead air happen in a different way or it didn't happen or whatever you're going to do, something has to go there. Somebody asked about Ziva. Tony and Ziva did get together in the show. I think that was, I want to say early season 11 when they got together. Um, it might have been late season 10. But I think it was early season 11, uh, very, very briefly before she decided to leave NCIS. So they kind of like, they gave him like this one hurrah kind of, um, and she decides she has to go, I don't know, find herself or something. And then she has a baby and um, um, doesn't tell him about it for several years. Actually, she doesn't tell him about it at all. He finds out about the baby after Ziva dies, and um, someone from Israel brings him the child. But anyway, um, so that, that is the way, that's the way Cannon went down with that whole. The baby, I think, was just sort of thrown in there. Um, as a way of getting Tony to leave in a method that Gibbs would accept. So, 
Um, but here's the problem with late season. There's stuff you can do, with, depending on where you're positioning your story, there's stuff you can do with problematic characters. Um, I think there is a story out there where, where Talia is, is Senior's kid. Um, I've heard about this story. I, I, don't, I haven't read it. Um, but so if anybody has the link you know, to that, since we've mentioned it, go ahead and pop it in the podcast and we'll capture it. But, um, well, I wouldn't say strong and sane. Here's the thing. This is the thing about Tony late season, is if you don't change the structure of the way things went down in canon, Tony becomes implicitly pathetic when he's there, in my opinion, that late, because Gibbs' treatment is so bad. So the further we go out in canon, the harder it is for me to deal with him being there because he's treated so horribly, and yet he comes back every day. Um, I found it. So, Okay. It's called um, Being True by Jay. Why can't you guys have names I can say? J-L-E-N-C-R-E. It is on AO3. I'm going to put a link in the chat room. And this is the one that's written in for um, present tense that Julie and I both were stunned how much we liked. Because I personally, it's not a reflection on the author. It actually is because it is so good that I was able to overlook something that I absolutely hate, which is present tense. I hate present tense writing. But I read the shit out of this story. So it says a lot about how um, talented the writer is that I managed to get through 22K without getting mad at her for the, pre- for the present tense. <laughs> because I hate it. I've read a couple of stories that are um, in present tense. There's one, I didn't even notice it. Um, I, I got through it, and I, I recommended it to somebody, and they're like, this is in present tense. And I went, it is? Um, because I feel very strongly about present tense. So there are times when it just sucks you in, and you're just like, woo. Um, Oh, Willow Ann says that one of the big short answers, prompt answers, um, over on the workshop, Pat Senior being Tolly's father. Um, but anyway, so for me, um, I I have re- I do read. So this is this is more of a writer versus reader thing. I do read stories where Tony is still at NCIS late series, where he's still there when Bishop is around. Um, so I'm still I, I do read that, um, but. It's not my favorite thing because it's, that's where I'm looking at the writer to handle how he's still there, why he's still there, why he's still putting up with that. Okay, so it, it, it becomes a question of, you know, are we just ignoring this problem? Um, but to me as a writer, it's very difficult to write him staying there um, after season eight. And actually season eight is an outlier for me. I only do season eight when I want to deal with dead air. Um, I'm much more likely to, to have him leave, um, much sooner than that. If not after the events of hiatus and the whole summer of Tony being in charge, then, um, definitely when they try to send him afloat. So, um, it is a, it is a, it, it, you have to you have to handle how he's still there. It's just ignoring it doesn't make it doesn't make it less odd because Tony in canon was pretty pathetic by the end. 
that they made it out that way. They put that in deliberately. Um, they actually used it as part of the way to get him out of the show about how, how pathetic his life had become and spent the whole season coming to these realizations about how pathetic his life was and then dropped a daughter on him. Um, so the I didn't know that punishment for Michael Weatherly because they were really surprised that he was actually serious about leaving. And so they just did their best to fuck him over in the last season. Yeah. So, you know, it's something to consider if you're going to have him still be there is, you know, what is keeping him there? Because it just, just loyalty to Gibbs. I mean, that's, that's, that's Tony Hufflepuff to an absurd degree, you know? Um, because it's not, it's not, it's not loyalty when someone treats you badly and you stay anyway. It's, it's mental health issue. Okay, it's a mental health issue. So either have him demand better treatment earlier on and they don't have those shenanigans or just address that he's got a mental health problem, you know. <laughs> you could and you could even start the story if you're doing a Tony Leaves thing and he doesn't leave till season ten, twelve, whatever, thirteen. Um, have him don't don't show the leaving. Show him after he's better that he went off and sat on a beach in Hawaii for six months and got his head screwed on straight and realized that he had become and show him in a better place. Write it from there. Write him in a better place. Um, and then he falls over Steve as he's surfing and maybe falls right, right. on his dick. And wouldn't that be great? Mothership. Um, All aboard the mothership. <laughs> so but with, with, with whichever character it is, so Tony becomes actually he becomes a problem character the later he goes in the show. Gives a problem character almost from the jump because of his his background. Um, but like I said, there's some things you can do to get around that stuff. Like I said, Sentinel Guide Universe is great for making the murder not matter. Or like we said, if the murder doesn't bother you, if you don't think that that's a big deal. Um, because Pedro Hernandez did have that coming. Um, you just have to then he deal with... He literally brought that shit on himself, but... Yes, he did. Gotta, you got to acknowledge it. I mean, who, you don't, don't go killing it. the... It's just good You don't go and kill the wife. Acknowledge it. Exactly. You don't, you don't go and kill the wife and uh, daughter of a Marine sniper and not expect some sort of reckoning... Yeah. Um, I think there was a, I think there may have been a who was in group I think I think there was a story where Tony was in group therapy. I don't know if that's canon. It should be. <laughs> it was all a nightmare. Yeah, it's all a nightmare. Um, you can do anything you want in your story. That's the point. Exactly. So you don't have to just deal with the shit that you were handed. But you need to handle it in a logical fashion. For, for craft. I mean, unless you want to write crack, and then you go right ahead and write your crack. You do you. <laughs> Actually, if you write crack, I got nothing to say because that is really good crack is 
takes a lot of work. Um, but it's it's when you're trying to do something when people try not you but specifically when people try to do something that's obviously a serious attempt at something and it's not cracky. You know, you got to deal with the problems. <laughs> can't just pretend like it's not you can't scarlet o'hara this up you know you got you can't just let it happen let, let's let it happen think nobody's going to notice Pete, there's somebody one who thing, notices everything one thing i got a problem with is um i actually love to see tony leave in cis too it's, it's it's one of my favorite tropes um along with you know ziva and tim in jail for dead air um or worse whatever um but for me, I have a problem with Tony going scorched earth as he walks out the door. No, that doesn't work. When when Unless you he plans put to Tony never, in a position be... of ruining his career, ruining his own credibility, destroying his ability to get a, ser- a security clearance, um, basically ruining his life to get revenge, I know about because no. Not unless he is not planning on ever being in law enforcement again or being where anybody can ever find him again. Um, Lady Holder did an interesting, wasn't it Lady Holder who did the scorched earth thing where the SGC picked him up? They're like, we need you to stop now. We're going to give you a job. Um, but it was done kind of behind the scenes. Um, am I thinking about the... Okay, but he wasn't was transferring classified material to the New York Times. No, that's just that's just crazy cakes. I've seen <sighs> that in a bit or the Washington Post or something. Anyway, I was like, "What? No, come on now! He'll be in jail. You go to jail for shit like yeah. that." Tony's too pretty to go to jail. <laughs> He all, you know, he also can't just have a temper tantrum in the bullpen. That doesn't work either, because that could, that wouldn't necessarily affect his ability to get a security clearance. But that kind of stuff gets around, and he would, he that would, that, that would probably be ruining his his career in law enforcement. Realistically, just leave the man some dignity. That's all I'm saying. Now, I did. I love the thing that the lady holder did with the spark stroke. I thought that was that was banging. But she acknowledged the. Um, he acknowledged that she acknowledged that he knew what he was doing. That he was ruining his career. It was. It wasn't like it was. You know, you can't have somebody do that kind of thing and not be ruining their career and act like that is just working for Homeland Security. You know, a week later, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And again, this stuff is all, most of this is suspension of disbelief, right? That's what we're talking about here, is you don't have to fix your problem character, but my disbelief is going to be strained. And suspension of disbelief is a key component of fiction writing. People have to be able to suspend their disbelief. Now, people have different degrees of ability to suspend disbelief. Like, my ability to watch NCIS and suspend my disbelief is probably not the same as somebody who actually does trace analysis in a crime lab, okay? So there are degrees. And, but the thing is you want the most of your target audience to be able to suspend their disbelief. And when people can't, that's a fundamental failure of craft. So you don't have to do it differently. Nobody has to. 
you don't have to deal with problem gives or you don't have to deal with the improbability. You don't have to deal with the head slaps and when they're boning each other. You don't have to fix that stuff. But there's a suspension of disbelief issue that that is a basic fun, basic part of writing fiction that you will have failed in. And that's fine. You, we've all failed in some aspects, but you know, you just have to decide that that's what you're going to, you're, you're okay with that. And, but it, it, to go back to the maturity, if you consistently do this, it shows a lack of growth and it, sh- and it, and it, it makes your craft immature. Mm-hmm. But if you're okay with that label, then don't worry about it. And I'm not being passive aggressive. I'm saying if you don't have any desire whatsoever to change the way you write, to grow as a writer, then you do you. This is a hobby. And you're supposed to like, enjoy I, yourself. Enjoy yourself. Yeah. And you say I am in. I I am. I'm immature in my craft, and I'm okay with that. If that's where you are, then. But again, when we have craft shows, we're not talking to you. <laughs> and so, we're posting on Facebook, we're not talking to you either. Yeah. If you want to stagnate, there's nothing wrong with that. Just don't get offended when we talk about it. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, I do that. I block quote all my text. Uh, all my dialogue. Okay, well, if you're okay I with it, I use parentheses in still... my narrative. <sighs> I actually found an author note in one of my um, fix, and it was just for myself. I meant to take out and didn't, and it was in parentheses. Oh my god, look at that! Because <laughs> <laughs> I usually well, leave myself notes note. in my narrative. And then I would take them out. And I put them in parentheses yeah. so they'd be easy to find. Right. I used to use, I would do that in, in, in angle brackets. And that one of my last steps before posting was to make sure I didn't leave any angle brackets in. It's the same basic thing. But it's funny now how, I use notes. you know. I use notes on the, WordPress, on the Microsoft Word. But when I was started doing that, they didn't, Word wasn't, a, that, didn't that, that wasn't a feature in Word. Yeah. Dating myself. Comment. Yeah. You are you're, you're you're an early word user, um, but you know I didn't I mean, use people, word. I use word like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's where I started too. Um, but people, I mean, I've I've sometimes make. Um, I mean, I, we have a, a page called the Daily Something. I haven't we haven't, I haven't put anything up there in a while. I don't think anybody else has. Um, mostly because I've been busy, but um, also sometimes I post comments about craft on my on my on my page and sometimes I'll say something that's sort of like, oh, you know, this, this, this is, this isn't, there are, people like to act like there's no absolute rules when it comes to style and grammar and punctuation. And that's not true. There are absolute rules. There there are corner cases um, that are not exceptions, but it's just because the usage is substandard, is, is not standard where, it looks like an exception to the rule, but it's not. It, the exception to the rule is not the punctuation. It's this weird non-standard usage that creates this exception, okay? Um, but there are definitely, I mean, there are not every rule is hard and fast, but there are hard and fast rules. And 
um, some of the hard and fast, let's talk about like hard and fast rules. Like, you're not supposed to be doing this. And it drives me crazy that fan fiction writers just disregard a lot of the hard and fast rules of publishing um, and, and writing in general, not just publishing, but writing in general. One of the things you don't do is really, for the most part, if you give me an example of people who use parentheses in their narrative, you better make sure it's not self-published first, okay? But I've never heard of a publishing house that allowed fiction writers to put stuff in parentheses. There are rules for how you punctuate a parenthetical phrase, and it is not putting parentheses around them. I mean, anyway, they probably so like J.K. Rowling, but she's a better writer than that wouldn't, and wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, it... it Publishers, I'm sure writers do it, and the editor's going to take it out, okay? That's, anyway, so if I make a comment like something like that, inevitably, whatever, whatever like, rule it is I'm talking about, someone gets butt hurt. I do it. They get butt hurt. I do it, or that how they don't mind it, or how it's fine in moderation, or whatever. No. It's like, okay, fandom, I'm not talking, I'm not talking to, um, Yes, most of the people on this show are fan fiction, listening to this show are fan fiction writers. But we're not, I'm not talking about, I'm not going to treat my fan fiction any differently than I would treat anything else I wrote. And I'm not going to start applying a different standard, a lower standard, quite frankly, um, just because it's fan fiction. That's obnoxious. And as people Very come back obnoxious. and go, well, I have no intention. Yes, people come back, come back and go, well, I have no intention of being. Um, uh, 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 writing original fiction, I'm like, that's not a so? moral high ground. I mean, so what? So you wrote, your reason for writing fan fiction is because you wanted to do non-standard punctuation. That's a crazy motive. Um, it's kind of like the whole it, thing but... about, I, we, we got pushed back on that. Kira and I both, at some point pushed about you don't have two people poke, poke. Two people speaking in the same paragraph. And that is that is a hard rule. Two people do not speak in the same paragraph. That is and about readability, people, and there is no circumstance where that's readable. Right. And so people people immediately respond about how, well, I think there are times when it's clear, or there's times where it makes sense, or it's like, no, no, fandom, shut Bullshit. up. <laughs> shut up. Bullshit. Ding, ding, ding. That's, that, no. that's my bullshit meter. It's sort of like justifying the one-sided phone conversation of the POV character. No, that's never no. a good idea. No publisher would ever let you do that. No good so, publisher would let you do that. Yeah. So with any kind of a craft thing, especially when it, whether it's actually the writing of the narrative or dealing with characters, which when it comes to problem characters, that's that's a craft thing, is how do you deal with a problem character. Um, we're talking people who are trying to, who want to write better, not people who just want to do what they're doing, you know? Because always, you do you. No one said, I, I, I am not the fandom police. I'm not the grammar police. As much as I probably would apply for that job if such a thing existed. Um, if the fandom police existed, I would put in my application. I'm sure they would take you as like chief constable or something. Yeah, I would do that. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure fandom would have constables. You know, I think I think that's what we would do. Um, Let me in because I got some I got some issues. There's some people I want to. Yeah, but I am I I'm not the fandom police. I'm not I'm not the I'm not the um, grammar police. I'm not the 
I'm not even the formatting police. So if if you, I'm not trying to make anybody do anything different, but this is all just my own opinion. I shouldn't have to give that disclaimer that it's my opinion because duh. <laughs> but I seem to need to. <laughs> you realize yeah, that's my opinion, right? Um, yeah, just your opinion. The thing is, is um, if you don't like what we got to say, you could take your ass over to Blog Talk and make your own podcast. I'm just saying. Yeah, or go join a uh, fandom writers group. I roll my eyes there on Facebook and get them to validate your opinion because they will validate your crappy ass opinion, and they will totally do that for you. There is somebody out there who will validate your opinion, but I'm not. I'm not going to tell somebody that something is a good thing to do. It's like I'm not going to get enthused about you know Gibbs head slapping Tony. Why that's a good idea? It's not a good. It's never a good idea. We don't hit it was people. never a good idea. It's always abusive, and it's been a hostile work situation since the beginning. HR nightmare. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything. I mean, realistically, um, fandom deals with they write away the crazy that that, that that team gets up to by um, justifying it with their closure rate. Gibbs is so phenomenal that his closure rate is so good, we just put up with his eccentricities, right? That is that is the common fandom trope. Because that, that, is, that is basically fandom acknowledging that it doesn't make sense and writing it away um, with a common a common fanon for why he gets away with it. Even though on the show it's barely implied that it's a problem. Although there was a whole season finale around um, everybody having to quit. Was that season 10? No, I think that's season... I think that was season 10. Where everybody had to quit because they were under investigation, I think from the State Department. The whole team for their, you know crazy antics. So eventually Canon even acknowledged that they're kind of wackadoodle. Um, I read a really great fic where they were talking about the whole um, uh, closure rate and somebody from JAG said, yeah, your closure rate is fantastic. Your conviction rate is shit. And that is, I think that's a great thing to put on the story because if, if a team closes their cases, it, doesn't, it shouldn't matter if they don't have the conviction rate to back it up. Illegal searches, Tim's hacking, Gibbs' shenanigans. And it comes out that Jag pretty much hates Gibbs' team. Because often his cases are, in, are, are just completely off the wall. It's a good fix, but I forget what it was called. And that's the only part I actually remember, so please don't ask me to. Oh, it's uh, the Tom Morrow one. Uh, it's a whole oh, bunch the, of one-offs one, one from the, Tom Morrow's oh, point of view. Oh, okay. 
Oh, there's always tomorrow. Tom Morrow. That that's that's yeah, story. something like that. It's, it's something like yeah, that. It's yeah, the unconnected. I think I I think I I picked. I read a couple of those. I picked them because they are unconnected one shots. There's a bunch of them. Um, that each one's an episode tag. Um, or a couple of them based upon which which tags I was interested in reading about. Um, I like oh, the one where um, Fornell got in trouble for throwing um, Tony out of the um, car. It almost that's killing him. That's something needed to get in trouble for. Um, like really get in trouble for. Um, but um, and that's an author who really explores consequences of of. They wrote one story. Um, where there were severe repercussions to Ducky um, calling um, Tony um, having narcissistic personality disorder. He told him he had a narcissistic came out in court. He made that comment. Yeah, it came out in court because somebody overheard it. Uh, and it kind of, like, ruined Tony's career. It was an interesting exploration of the consequences of that kind of just a side comment because Ducky is he has he has training in forensic psychology so and they use him to write profiles they use him in that capacity so and they and he testifies um to those to, to he does profiles and stuff so you know it it is him making a an offhand comment like that could really actually have negative um repercussions so and that's one of the things, I mean, I think one of the things we're, we're talking about when you deal with a problem character or, or problem event in canon is it is a come back to this thing people are probably tired of hearing about, but it is a fundamental cornerstone. And it's not just about fan fiction, although it's glaring in fan fiction, is repercussions of things. Um, but in original fiction, it's, it's a cornerstone too because you can't just, you know, do whatever you want you have to consider the repercussions of your plot, right? You know, make, does it make sense for this character to do this? What would be the consequences of this action or whatever? I mean, you have to do it when you're writing. And I know that figuring out repercussions is not the most intuitive skill for some people. It's not, you know, I had to learn it. Um, some people, it is more intuitive than others. Um, I think my brain just works it, that way. I've always been really good at it. But, is it, but, but I have other issues that I sometimes get blind to. Um, The other quirk of that is that sometimes I can take a personal problem and just rip it to pieces and drive myself nuts and give myself an ulcer. That's no bueno. So be fortunate that you don't actually do that naturally because that's actually a function of my anxiety. That honing in on consequences and repercussions. Well, when I'm when I'm like facing a personal problem, I can. I, I can we'll sit there and like figure out every permutation of how this could go because I can look, you know, I'm trying to look at all the different paths. It can be a little bit harder to do in writing for me. I mean, I had to learn it. I think I'm a lot better at it now than I was a decade ago um, because a, a decade ago it, it was rare that they made it into the finished product. But what would happen is that I was stumbling over it when I would write it. It's like I'd write some – I mean, I wouldn't have seen it coming, and then I'd type a line, and I'd go, wait a minute, that makes no sense. And so I wasn't seeing it in advance, but I was, like, like tripping over it in a really mm-hmm. – in a way that was really just killing my writing productivity. And sometimes these are – and sometimes these were catastrophic plot holes that I had failed to consider, or they created catastrophic plot holes. 
and I would have to back up hugely. So it was massively frustrating that I wasn't seeing them. But I was having a decade um, working out. Consequences. It can be obnoxious. Has been, yeah, it, it's working. That has been a big priority for me because I didn't like that experience of of just getting derailed on something I was really enjoying because I had failed to appreciate the consequences of something. Um, and one of the biggest keys to that, whether it's a problem character, problem, whatever, whatever problem you're trying to sort out, um, is um, talking it out. You know, um, you've got to practice. You have to practice that. And we, when something's just rattling around in your head, you process it differently than when you engage a sense. If you write it out on the computer, you speak about it. Sometimes I have verbalized a plot problem I've been stuck on for days, and the minute it comes out of my mouth and I hear the words go in my ears, your brain processes differently things you hear and see than things you just think about. I had the answer. So, I have solved some problems by talking to myself. And there's actually articles you can read about how talking to yourself can be very productive. Um, also, but other problems, seek out other yeah. writers. Writers, yeah. Not readers. Yes, because readers will just tell you that whatever it is you want to do is either fine or they'll push their own personal agenda usually. Now, there's some readers who have a lot of experience with, with idea bounce, um, but I would say they're more in the minority, pure readers who who do that really well. For the most part, what I've seen is either they push their own agenda, how their vision of it, or just tell you that what you're doing is great. Um, if you're trying to work out a problem, having somebody blow sunshine up your ass does not help. But if you just want validation, then yeah, by all means. <laughs> Go for it. But because sometimes you just need validation. I'm not knocking that. Sometimes you need that. I get it. Mm -hmm. I'm not immune to that. So when when I need validation, I go over my website and read all my comments you guys leave me. There you go. It's very helpful for my (laughs) self-esteem. Just saying. There There are times when I am... Uh, somebody told me somebody told me once that um, that I didn't have to deal with that problem of not of not um, of not uh, seeing consequences. So I didn't know what it was like to struggle with that, and I just kind of scoffed and I was like, "Really? <laughs> um, you don't know? I mean, these days the bitches hear it. That's who that not not only not only them, but there are several people that um, several other writers that I talk to that the bitches hear it a lot." Uh, about like okay, what are the repercussions of this? And we just hammer it out. We talk about it until it makes sense. Um, but if you're not, if you're not able to figure out how to how to get around the problems, gives or you you're trying to work on that skill, you know that's the kinds of threads on the workshop that I'm just going to be I'm going to jump all over as trying to help you with that. Um, so so use that resource. Go go. Go do it, or find find other writers that you trust who you know are good at that, or a writers group for your fandom or something. But just find other writers to help. And it doesn't have to be creative writers; it could be somebody who's a technical writer, or somebody who's an editor, or somebody who's involved in that kind of thing, and help editors. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, especially content editors, people who are developmental editors, 
are really good at um, finding your consistency issues or working through that kind of stuff. So whoever you know that has these skills, just get talk it out. Now, I will give the caveat that if somebody ignores, um, they don't have to take my specific advice, but if they just go ahead and do what they want to do anyway, repeatedly, I'm less interested in helping because um, what was the point of the question if you weren't going to try to fix your consistency issue? Oh well, Yeah, I like don't waste my time. Cons- yeah. It's like literally somebody said that I li- they liked the story better with the consistency issue. So they wrote it the way it was originally, and I was like, that's just, how can you like a consistency issue better? That doesn't make any sense to me. But whatever. You do you. <laughs> I get I get hyper-focused on problems, and that's probably why I have so many works in progress. For those of you who are on Facebook, you might have um, seen that post I posted where I, and I was bored. What had happened was, is I was bored. And so, I opened up my work in progress folder and I started um, um, organizing it. And I was like, I'm wondering if Lady Holder was right about how much how much works in progress I've got, how many words. Because I said, what did I say in the podcast? I think you said seven hundred thousand. I said seven hundred thousand. Five hundred, seven hundred thousand. Between five hundred and seven hundred would have been my guess. Somewhere in that area, um, it was one point seven million. I have one point seven million words in progress. And 126 projects. Yeah, she knew. She knew. She was like, she's like, there's no way that it's only that little. Because you're probably thinking, I've seen at least 500,000, and I've not seen a, 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 a high percentage of your shit. So, but yeah, I just, um, yeah, and I was bored. So I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add this all up and see if she's right. And she was. She was. She was. She was very right. Yeah. A lot of times an idea is like I'll be just trying out a theme, trying, you know, trying to see how it fits and um and so a lot of times I'll have four or five projects that are exploring the same thing until I find one I really like. Like I started Sentinels of Atlantis and uh, about 20 times on paper in my notebook. Like I had like a whole bunch of different plots and stuff. I kept it all. Um and then I had two different versions that I was actually writing. I still have the original version that um, I never did anything with because I might decide to do something with it. I'm just saying. She used to change her mind. I never throw anything away. I, I, even the worst thing of it, well, there was like, I think there's been a couple things where I just delete. I deleted a paragraph or two, but I've never like started a story and worked on it, and even if I decided to just, I'm not working on that, I've never deleted a file. Just no. No. That's not what I do. No. That's not how I roll. No, I'm bored with that. I mean, I've lost files, but I don't delete stuff. Because sometimes you do go back and use something conceptually or... You can take some, take a piece of something you threw out and go, okay, I can use this over here, or it's, it becomes the germ of another idea. Um, or sometimes I just go back and look at that stuff just to laugh at myself. It's like, what was I thinking? 
Why did I think that was a good idea? And usually I can attribute it to a fan fiction spiral. <laughs> it happens to the best stuff. of us. It's it does. Like, what? You read what too the hell much was stuff. I thinking? You read too much stuff of a certain trope, and all of a sudden, you know, you think that was what you should have done. I'm like, no. I um I also have an idea that I have actually um uh, wrote the same basic idea for the Sentinel and for the Star and for Stargate, where um in the Sentinel version Jim is in seclusion in the uh, Sentinel Guide Center because he can't um he hasn't found a guide. And then um, Blair is in South America, and Jim's father finds out that Blair's basically in some kind of limbo because he's been declared dead, but he wasn't dead. And so they're having a hard time getting him back into the country, and he uses his political weight to get him back into the country. Well, to meet Jim, and he is, in fact, Jim's guide, and you know, obviously. Um, and so the other um, idea is the same circumstance where John is in the um, Stargate, um, the um, Sentinel Guide um, Center, and he has seen thousands upon thousands of guides and doesn't have a match, and he's an Alpha Sentinel. And his father, who's, who works in the government, hears that there's a high-level guide that is being secluded and so he puts his foot in it and manages to drag Rodney back from Pegasus to meet John. Wow. And John is um John um is Rodney's sentinel. And so I have this idea and I've I've written both of them to a certain point, to the bonding. Um and they're practically mirror images of each other except for the pairing. And the character interactions, like who comes to see Jim or who comes to see John. John is actually very good friends with Cameron Mitchell. Um, and um, so it just depends on. And then at the original Sentinels of Atlantis one, um, John goes to Atlantis to bond with Rodney. Um, but this, the city is fucked up. So he has to send McKay back to Earth to... Um, uh, to get some scientists, so he has to do a job search, and um, they they are not fully bonded, and because they were waiting to just kind of get to know each other, it, it wasn't an immediate bonding situation. And Rodney gets kidnapped, and John comes through the gate to get his guide back, and he is none too happy. So I have that one. Um, but so, you know, I, I play with a lot of ideas. And sometimes you do play with a whole bunch of ideas until you find one that settles you. Did you mute us? Yeah, I, no, no, I was just, I was, I was pondering. I was actually, what I was tra- trying to do is remember, I, the plot that you just said, described the John, the John Jim one, I'm pretty sure I've, the, the mirror plot. I'm pretty sure I've read one mm-hmm. of those, but the bizarre thing is I could, I'm like, which one was it? They both sound familiar, but I know it was only one. So I was just sitting here in I'm the back sure of my head. I'm pretty sure one of them is on EAD, and it might be the Sentinel version. So I might have read both of them then. Okay. 
Um, Was that beeping you? Who knows? Huh? Was that beeping you? Yeah, I I thought it was a microwave. Oh, oh. No, I'm glad my mirror doesn't beep at me. I'd be mad if my mirror was talking shit to me like that. (laughs) Oh, it doesn't just. It doesn't just. um, it doesn't just talk shit to me. Um, if if my glucose is good, it it has this big green light that comes on, and if it's bad, it turns red. <laughs> it's like, wow! Judgy fucker. <laughs> That's some serious kindergarten shit right there. Um, what was your blood sugar? I'm just kidding. It was 104. Post mine dinner. was 117. So post dinner, mine was 117. So. So it was fine. It was fine. But I took my, um, I didn't, I didn't suck. I had enough carbs with dinner. So I was a little bit concerned because I took my metformin with dinner. So I was a little bit concerned that, you know, I didn't want to skip testing yeah. it because I didn't want to do a year. You crash like I did. Yeah. That was a dumbass <laughs> move on my part. I took a metformin, um, which is a thousand milligrams. And then I only ate protein because I'm a dumbass. Don't, don't be like Kira. You like she's too have that whole into her your own little version of don't be like Kira. Um, but no, I was thinking about when you're talking about you find an idea that works. It's like I had started this this the story I had the hardest time starting ever. I mean, I, sometimes I just can't get. I got an idea, but I can't get the beginning to go right. You know, it just it doesn't feel good or something's not. And like one one story, I, I probably started it. It's probably it's maybe ten, but I feel like I've done it a dozen times. Uh, with changing where it starts, how it starts, whose point of view I'm in. I mean, I've just done everything. It's this Hobbit story where um, um, there are uh, – well, it, it started as an idea for um, Cabbage Patch Hobbits kind of story. Um, but that there uh, – the story title is called Yavanna's Blessed, and that, that there are um, a, a few hobbits um, called the Blessed um, who – who can grow anybody. Now I don't mean pottery, although that was cute, but they can grow anybody's um, child. So um, they help with people who are, you know, unable to do their own planting because some people can't. Um, but most couples do their own planting, but some people can't. And um, the, the blessed can do it. They can, they can do it for them. There aren't very many because it's not really a necessity. And Bilbo was born one of the blessed. And um, when they when they come become of age, the way they tell that they're blessed is that they develop these like vine tattoos um, that are the marks of Yavanna. Um, these leaves mm-hmm. and vines that appear on their body because it's a symbol of their connection to the earth. Anyway, so um, Yavanna is telling them that they need to that it's time for the Shire to move, that they can no longer plant in this earth, and that the blessed are who carry the magic of the Shire and their ability, um, and that, so they need to move it. And Bilbo's the one chosen to go and find their new planting grounds, basically. And he goes off on So anyway, I had started the beginning of this in the Shire multiple, multiple, multiple times, and then all of a sudden one day... I just got this idea that I skipped the whole Bilbo trying to find the planting grounds. He just goes and finds it. I talked about this a little bit on the podcast a while ago where he basically sends a letter to Thorin and is like, okay, I'm going to treat with your dragon to get out of your castle, but we need you to agree to let the hobbits move in the Shire. Could you please pick them up on your way? Um, and just kind of approach the start from a different point of view instead of having it be this whole thing. Because the, and I realized it's because the point of the story was not 
really about the Hobbit's journey. It was about the, the intention of it all along was about um, a way to revitalize the population of the dwarves. That that was Yavanna's plan, as she intended for Bilbo to go and be near Erebor. That she didn't say it specifically, but that was her intention. Um, and to start planting dwarves. <laughs> and the blessed can do that. They can grow an elf, they could grow a dwarf, they could grow whoever they want. Um, so, so what's he do? Just plant a dwarf and then when the dwarf come, when the dwarfling comes up he says, Okay, um, this is your baby <laughs> No, no, he has to get he has to get he has to get people have to want him to do it. They have to provide the, okay. the seed. Okay. So he has to make a seed for them and they have to want it. But he can plant anyone. And that's how he treats with, how he um, does a treaty with um, um, Smaug to get him out of the thing is because the reason Smaug is in Erebor is because the Arkenstone is a dragon seed. And um, when it was unearthed, it called to him. And he eventually went and he said this little seed, and he's kind of pissed off about it um, because dragons you know, he has no way of dealing with planting it himself. And some dragons are born, but so they, they can come from seedlings too. And Bilbo agrees to, to plant Smaug's seed, this Arkenstone, and, and get the dragon out of it. Um, make it a Cabbage Patch dragon uh, if Smaug will uh, get leave Erebor. And Smaug's like, well, sure. Uh, you plant my baby, uh, I'll leave. <laughs> so As soon as my baby comes out of the ground... I'm taking off. So um, Bilbo uh, agrees to do that, but he makes a, a, um, a, a you know, and so Thor doesn't have any idea this is going on, and then, you know, he gets there, and Bilbo eventually is like, okay, when do you want us to begin planting for you? And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, well, I'll assume you guys have low population. That seems to be, i got a dream about this, and we're, we're, I've, got, I've got a section of plot of land set aside for dwarves, and they're like, what are you talking about? And they nobody believes them. Um, so anyway, that was. But I had not been able to get this started. Um, we would start repeated attempts. I feel like um, I, I feel I feel slighted because here I am, deeply invested in Cabbage Patch Babies, and not once did this heifer on the phone with me ask me if I wanted to alpha read her stuff. Because it was always just the first few, like, scenes, and it was always, it was like first chapter, and it was always just kind of, ugh, I hate this. Um, I'm just saying. Yeah. My first attempt was from Bilbo's point of view, and I'm like, no, Bilbo's point of view is not interesting, because Bilbo knows all of this. And then um, I had um, the the Thane of the Shire summoning um Elrond to the Shire to explain about Hobbit magic because that was the dream they get to explain the whole thing and Elrond and his sons show up and they're like what are you talking we don't understand what do you mean you come out of the ground because it's been a big secret and it's like you know Hobbits are coming out of and so Elrond arrives at the right time to watch Bilbo bring a, a, a Hobbit out of the earth and they're like huh and so my initial plot was that Elrond and his, or would would charge his sons with taking Bilbo around Middle Earth to, to find um, where where Yvonne was leading them to, um, but I just I was hating the, all these scenes I was writing in the Shire, although I was you know mildly entertained by Elrond's reaction. It just didn't feel like it was the point, you know. Mm-hmm. So 
I would I, love I think to that see was, the scene where Thorin gets the letter. I hadn't written that. That was the idea I came up with, um, like, what was it, like a, a month ago? So I'll just, all of a sudden I had this epiphany where Thorin gets this letter, like, Dear Mr. King, I have your mountain. Um, it'd be great if you would bring the hobbits with you, kind of thing. And Thorin's like, is this, is he, is he, is he okay? Is he unhinged? <laughs> Um, I'm you can imagine have Thorin thing, like but... knocking on um, Tuckborough. But look, I I got a letter from your nephew, wish person. Um, <laughs> is he for real? Yeah, no, is he? Is he need your help with this? <laughs> well, because I had I had two ideas. The first was that um, one of the ravens from Erebor delivered the letter. And so he knew that this person had been an Erebor, and he was, like, a little flummoxed. And the other was that Bilbo sent the letter to the Thane, and the Thane delivered it to um, the Grey Mountains. So, um, um, I, I hadn't, I'm still not convinced which way that's going to go yet. I'll probably write both variations. But just sometimes that's what you do. You write more than one variation of something, and... Um, see which one works out, or in my case, like a dozen that don't work out, and then all of a sudden you get this idea for the story starting with a letter. And that's the way I, that was, that was the first line of Dear Mr. King was how I wanted that to be addressed because Billow didn't have any idea who the king was, right? So he just calls him Dear Mr. King. <laughs> um, I have your mountain. We'd really like to live here. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'd like to live in the valley. Um, the dragon is gone. Um, there's a bunch of gold here. You might want to send some guards. <laughs> yes, the Blue Mountains. Sorry, the Blue Mountains. Um, I said Gray Mountains because I guess the Gray Havens are over in that area, sort of. So the Gray Havens yeah. are, and the Gray Mountains are are closer to Erebor. I have a whole map that yeah. I've been pouring over for Small Magic, so. Yeah, I'm conf- I conflated Blue Mountains and uh, Grey Havens into Grey Mountains, which are something else entirely. Um, but yeah, um, so sometimes you just go on the wrong path a bazillion times until you find the path that you like and you go, aha. And some stories that just don't start. I, mean, I had this was the first Hobbit story idea I got. It was the first time I read a Cabbage Patch um, Hobbit story. I got this plot bunny. Um, I, it's one of those ones that the minute I got the plot bunny, I knew the title. It was the title's going to be Yolanda's Blessed. And then I just fell apart in the execution of it, and I couldn't get the beginning of it to go anywhere. So, And then I got the epiphany about it, and I was like, aha, now I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip all the stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the story I'm writing. <laughs> Yeah, no I think one does lot of times there because he's he, he's one tra- hobbit traveling alone. That's why nobody knows or cares that he's there. I'm all up in here with your and I planted the dragon egg, and it should be p- grown and gone by the time you get here. Um, Smog's guarding your gold, <laughs> and he would. I th- I think Bilbo would 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 tell Smog, "You can't leave until they're here, dude." No, I mean. 
That's that's not cool. And it would be so nice would, if you apologize for taking their mountain. <laughs> Sincerely. And I actually wanted to think that, like, talking about, you know, someone else's planting is, like, really taboo. So, like, when Thorne asked the thing, well, what did he do to get – he's like, well, he 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 treated with him for a, a, a favor of an – of an intimate nature and he kind of stumbles over it because you don't talk about someone else's planting. You can talk about your own, but you don't talk about someone else's. That's just not cool. So they oh have God. this whole taboo so about Thorin going to go to the mountain thinking that Bilbo banged well, the he's dragon. Be wondering, what, what, no, he's going to be wondering what, not but, bang him, but he's going to be wondering what, what the fuck is a per intimate favor for a dragon? What do you, what does that even mean? So someone's going to say it, of course, to Thor. He's going to be like, no, that can't possibly be it. Do you see how small they are? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what happened. What, but what does it mean? Um, so I think that there's going to be kind of like, I kind of wanted to have this like this like little taboo that they can't, you know, they can talk about planting, but they can't talk about someone else's planting. Like, oh, well, he's, it would be great. It would be great if, if Bilbo offered Thorn an intimate favor at some point. <laughs> well, I actually one of the things in my plot notes is that Thranduil does not believe this whole planting nonsense. So Bilbo's like, "Well, all right, well, just give me these things, give me this seed, and do this thing with this thing." You know, I'm thinking maybe put it in your mouth or something. And Thranduil's just kind of like rolling his eyes or whatever. <laughs> He's like, "Sure, sure." <laughs> Bilbo shows up with this infant elf and is like, "Here you go." Here's <laughs> your baby. Like, what the hell? Congratulations, it's a girl. Yes, I would make it a girl. Yeah, but sometimes, I guess, sometimes you just go down a bazillion wrong directions until you find the direction that works. And um, that one, I, I could, probably could have sorted that out a couple years ago. Um, if I'd sat down and like hammered out that plot with somebody, but you know, I hadn't really been in the mood to write the Hobbit. So it wasn't a high priority at the time. Um, I probably fell out of the mood just, uh, trying to go through the first like 10 iterations of that beginning of that story. Um, well, so I just let it sit. And then my interest in a problem, a problem or a problem character can, can really, um, impact your process. Mm-hmm. That happened with the story I posted for EAD, um, Chris Argent is a problem character. He's not a fandom bane like the Argents are, but he is a problem. He, like Kate and Gerard Argent, are fandom banes. I mean, like everybody wants them dead. Um, but Chris Argent is a problem character because, you know, of his actions up, and the things he did up until mid-ish season two, I think. Yeah, season two, when he's actually, like, torturing people and, you know, spree killing werewolves he he becomes a problem character because it's difficult to reconcile his actions and so he became a problem character for me that stumped me for a while um that i didn't know what to do with and i did you had a pairing idea right i had a pairing pre- yeah preconceived pairing yeah tony tony and tony and chris was my preconceived pairing and um and then when I came back to that story to fix the problem, I realized there was no problem. I just changed the pairing, you know. And that's how I, and that's how I handled that pairing is because he can continue to be a problem character 
as long as he's not, you know, in a relationship with somebody who makes that an issue. You know what I mean? So um, he's not a problem unless he's banging Tony. So I we can't get the unicorn dirty with with that. You know, he can't. Yeah, he's not gonna bang somebody who's torturing people, torturing school principals, so that his daddy can get a job. His daddy, the spree killer. The new pairing is awesome. I can't wait. Yes, I am very enthused about that. Is pairing. that a cock teeth? We, we cock revealed tea. it in chat. We revealed it in chat, but we didn't reveal it on the. Um, we revealed it for the people who were in chat that night, but we didn't reveal it for people who were on the podcast. She knows this. There are some stories where the town where, where where the sheriff is Johnny Cage. He just went on to a different life. I've always find those kind of amusing. Um, Who's Johnny Cage? Mortal Kombat. Um, Johnny Cage was the uh, that was his name. Lyndon and then Ashby. That his name. He played Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat. Um, so really. Yeah, that's hilarious. So people like to have this. Some people have written this connection where he went on to become. He found Claude, met Claudia, and went on to become a small town sheriff. And he took her name. He's living under. I guess. I get because that's that's probably where the John came from initially. John Stolinski was from Johnny Cage. That would be my guess. How people made that connection. Oh, we're down to 90 seconds. <laughs> 90 seconds? Probably the same voice as other... you muted. <laughs> we Probably. We will have other problem characters to address someday. I would like to do one on Minerva McGonagall. I would like to do one for... Um... Elizabeth Weir. I'd also like to bane her. Um, a killer a lot. Yeah. So, you know, Carson's they're both also doable. a problem character. I agree. Carson's, Carson's also a problem. problem character. Carter can be a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, you guys have a great weekend. Wait, what What day is it? It's Thursday. Thursday. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Friday. Okay. Good night, everybody. Say good night. Good night. <laughs>